And we're going to look this morning, having established this foundation of the critical nature of wisdom and the importance of wisdom that we looked at in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 last Sunday, uh, Solomon now moves into the larger portion of chapter 10 by giving us several practical applications of wisdom. How do we put wisdom into practice in very real terms, in very specific elements of life? And that's what we want <clears throat> to spend a few minutes uh, looking at this morning, again, from the perspective of Solomon. Wisdom is kind of Solomon's thing. You know, he was wise enough as a young man to ask for wisdom when he had this incredible meeting with God. Could have asked for anything, but he asked for wisdom. He asked to have the ability to make wise decisions in the will of God that would be a blessing not only to him, but to those people around him, even to the nation that he would lead as king over Israel. And here's a guy that, you know, pretty much had it made. He had the top position in the land. He owned more property than anybody else. He had the biggest house in town. Uh, he had the greatest amount of responsibility had the biggest number of servants and people that worked for him. Man, he had everything together. And yet, when he's writing the book of Proverbs, which is the book right in front of Ecclesiastes in your Bible, he's writing that book fundamentally as a, a, a book of a treasure trove, so to speak, for his sons so that they would know how to live wisely. And he says to them and to all of us who read Proverbs as eternal scripture, above all else, get wisdom. Not above all else get houses or above all else get land or above all else uh, have padded bank accounts or retirement accounts. All those things are well and good and have their place. But Solomon will transfer important insight to his boys and beyond that the most important thing from a practical everyday perspective that they could put their hands on was wisdom. And he reflects on that now as he approaches the evening of his days, writing what would be his final <clears throat> book of the Bible, and that is Ecclesiastes. He reflects once again on the subject of wisdom and its incredible importance. And remember, that's kind of how we defined wisdom last week. Wisdom is the practical application of what we know. That's kind of a textbook definition it's a dictionary definition. Wisdom is not what you know, and that distinguishes it from knowledge. Both are important. But wisdom differs from knowledge in that it's what you do with what you know, what you decide with what you know, how you respond to various people, places, events, circumstances based on what you know. I like to define wisdom as this ability based on biblical truth, to see life, evaluate life, and then respond to life according to the will of God. To see life, evaluate life, respond to life from God's perspective, not from human perspective, not from the perspective of the point of view of the world, which most of the time is not wise in the least, but how to respond to life from God's perspective, which of course means knowing the Bible, and that's why we're so consistent about keeping the Word of God before you as part of our teaching week in and week out, part of our small group ministry. 
It's the core of our growth group ministry, our disciple ministry. Everything we do is based on the Word of God and takes people to the Word of God because how can you know the will of God and how can you live in wisdom apart from the very Word of God? And so we want people to, like Solomon, be able to get wisdom, to embrace wisdom, and then to make decisions according to wisdom. One of the most important biblical words as it relates to living wisely, if you're taking notes, write this word down. It's the word consider. Consider. Take a comb and run it all the way through the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes and pick out how many times Solomon uses the word consider. Uh, how many times have you ever reacted to somebody or to some life event without first stopping and engaging your mind and your heart? Without considering in the least, man, we are a knee-jerk culture living in a knee-jerk world where we just do immediately based on first impulse. We speak based on first impulse. And yet how often we encounter this word consider. I'm not sure that you can live wisely without first learning the discipline of considering. That always means learning to engage your mind, your heart, your soul. It means thinking before you act, thinking before you speak, looking before you leap, as the old saying goes. Have you all ever made a decision without ever having all the facts? Amen. You weren't quite sure about all the details, hadn't thought through all the particular ramifications. We make decisions a lot of times based on a concept known as uneducated enthusiasm. We just feel good about it. I feel so good about this girl, right? Or I feel so good about this job, or I feel so good about this decision, or I feel so good about this move, and your mind is conjuring up all these wonderful things that may come of it. But you haven't stopped and considered you're just very enthusiastic, and somebody might come along, and they'll say, oh, wait a minute, but hang on, have you thought about, oh, that'll work out, it'll all work out, it'll all work out. Can I just say something astute? It doesn't always work out. And again, as I've said before, you can choose uh, to learn everything by experience, but you're going to be black and blue, cut up most of your life. How much better it is to know the word of God, learn from the experience of others, do as Solomon says, seek wise counsel, involve others in the decision where appropriate. Consider before deciding. I remember several years ago, we took Seth up for his college orientation in Birmingham and we were in one of those <clears throat> group settings where Seth's particular orientation group was seated in this big room and one of the university officials came out. It's one of those meetings where this was the particular official. I think it was the dean of student affairs. And they come out and they just, their mission in life is to put the fear of God in these kids, you know. And he was coming about and he was, he was telling them all these horror stories. Because he said, I know what y'all going to do. You're going to get up here. Mom and dad's not going to be around. You're going to go crazy. And let me tell you what can happen if you don't first stop and, and think. And he told them several stories, but one of them that I remember was about a student who, who played fast and loose uh, with their convocation credits. In other words, we, in my day, we called it chapel. And they now call it convocation. In some schools, they call it forum. And you have to go. You have so many of those you have to go, and you have to check in with your ID card when you 
show up and you have to go to so many of those. You don't have to go every time they have them, but you have to go to so many over your four-year college career. And you got a budget, you know, you got a, you got a plan, you got to keep up with all that stuff. And he told the story about one young lady who came time to graduate, but she was two convocation credits short, too short. And she did not get her diploma because of that. You say, man, that's hardcore. No, those were the rules. Now, they were gracious. They let her walk the line. They handed her one of those leatherette things with nothing in it. And she had to order her life in such a way to come back the next fall to attend those two convocation hours before they would actually give her the piece of paper that belonged in the leatherette case. Now, she just messed around and failed to consider. Not very wise. And so many of us do the same kinds of things, only sometimes the ramifications are far, far more significant. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, Solomon shows us how to apply wisdom. In the previous passage, he was just talking about the importance of wisdom, what it is and, and why it matters, and we visited some about that last week. But here he gives us three practical areas where wisdom can and should be applied. There are many others, but Solomon just chooses to focus on three. The first is that he reminds us that we need to be wise in the work that we do. Now, that's an especially important thing to say on Labor Day. Somebody say amen. I didn't plan this message for Labor Day, but it's interesting that Solomon says when it comes to wisdom, you need to know how to work wisely, no matter what kind of work that you do. Look at Ecclesiastes 10, beginning in verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Would you say that last part together with me? Out loud, together, wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Let's just stop there. There's a bunch of stuff in there about snakes that we'll try to ignore this morning. But there are all kinds of things, and, and Solomon is couching them kind of in the indicative. You know, if you, if you break through a wall, you're going to get bit by a snake, or if you dig a pit, you're going to fall into it. Well, that doesn't always happen. In fact, it doesn't often happen. Solomon is just using these as an, as an example to show us what might happen if we're careless. In other words, if you dig in a pit, and you're like me preaching on the stage, if I get too close to it, and one of these days, I'm going to fall right off of it, right, if I'm not careful. Well, it's the same true when you're out digging a hole in the ground or whatever the case might be. You want to, don't want to play fast and loose around the edges or you might fall in. Wisdom says, stay back just a little bit. Or if you're breaking down a wall, you want to be very careful and not altogether haphazard because sometimes snakes can be behind walls. For, apply it this way. If you're out clearing brush or whatever the case might be, you want to be very careful. Whitney and I were out at 
Sedona, Arizona a couple of years ago when the Southern Baptist Convention was out in Phoenix and we hired a guide to take us through the part of the Red Rock country and we walked along and we're just looking up at the Red Rocks and Whitney was in front of me and the guide was in front and I was taking up the rear and the guide had his wife with him. And all of a sudden we stopped for just a moment and I was that far from a timber rattler right there. Right there. I was looking up when I should have been looking down. I didn't see another red rock the rest of the day. I walked the rest of the time like this. And I backed up. I got that baby on a little videotape and I had my daughter close to me the whole time. Wisdom just says, be careful. That's especially true when it comes to how you work. Be very careful. Be wise. Be smart. Work smarter, not harder. Be wise with your energy. Be wise with your diligence. Be wise with your talents. I started to show on the screen this morning of some of these guys that made a decision that they weren't going to call a tree surgeon to cut down the tree. They were going to take it down themselves. And there were like a thousand videos out on YouTube. And I thought everybody in the house has probably seen those. I'm not going to show it. But I mean, I saw one where a guy was standing back filming this thing, kind of muttering under his breath, I don't, this thing's gonna go bad. It's gonna go bad. And of course, the tree falls right on the guy's house. And the last thing you could hear the guy who's filming uttering is, I told you, I knew it would happen. I knew it would happen. And he's running over there to help. Just not wise. And you're going to make your work a lot harder if you don't have wisdom to keep your tools in top condition. That's what Solomon says here too. In affirming the principle, you know, work harder, not smart, or work smarter rather, not harder. Take time to sharpen the edge. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more what? Strength. Just take a few minutes extra and sharpen the edge and the work will go a whole lot smoother. He says down in verse 11, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Snake charmers are the craziest people on the planet, in my opinion. If you've ever seen, I mean, it's quite a talent, I'm told, in the Far East, quite a talent to charm a snake. But if the charmer gets bitten, I mean, all that talent doesn't do any good. So he needs to approach it wisely, even though he's been taught how to do it. Solomon's point is it just use wisdom in the practical, everyday affairs of your life. Don't be so caught up in accomplishing things that you take the focus off what you're doing and how you're doing it. Don't get so uh, caught up in succeeding that you don't consider what you're doing. And many times it's not that we don't know the right thing to do. Sometimes you just put your life on autopilot and how easy it is just to get lulled into foolish thinking. And that's how you end up getting bitten. Not because you don't know, but because you don't apply wisdom to what you know. I've seen a lot of people, man, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen a lot of people really complicate their life because sometimes the wrong thing to do seemed like the most exciting thing to do or the most thrilling thing to do, <clears throat> or they got talked into something that they knew better than to be involved in, or they thought it'll be okay just to do it this one, uh, this one time. Remember Warren Buffett? It takes 20 years to build a reputation, five minutes to lose it. Sometimes it doesn't even take five minutes to lose it. Sometimes you can lose it 
in just a few seconds. You can get snake bit that quick. The Bible says it in a passage of scripture that we've talked about a lot through the years. The Bible says in the book of Numbers 32, be sure your sin will what? Find you out. God told Cain, you better be very careful because sin is crouching. Remember what he said? Sin is crouching where? At your door. Have you ever walked in through a door and somebody was behind it making their mission in life scare the bejeebers out of you? Crouched behind the door, right? And you just want to knock them upside the head when they do that. See, a lot of people giggling this morning. You've either done it or you've had it done to you. Well, see, that's like sin. What they're doing is sinful. Somebody's going to make me die. It's like a thing in the office. Probably your office too. I don't know what it is. But that's the way sin is. It crouches unseen and unheard at the door. And that's why you need wisdom. Because most of the decisions you make in life will be these practical everyday decisions. And you want to be very careful that you consider. Because most of the decisions in life, again, are not based on is this right or is this wrong. But is it wise? So get wisdom and apply it particularly to the areas of your work. But then second, we're instructed to be wise in the words that we use. Oh my, oh my. See, this is where we quit quit preaching and go to meddling this morning. Be wise in the words we use. Everybody's going, well, I'm pretty wise in my work. Well, what about with your mouth? Do you exercise wisdom in the words you speak? Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 12. Solomon has a lot to say about our tongues. You know, we tend to think of James in the New Testament taking up almost all of chapter 3 in his little letter talking about the dangers of our speech if we're not careful. Solomon probably says more about it than anybody else in the Bible with the Apostle Paul probably coming in a close second. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Now, you all know, as Christian people, been in the Word, study the Word, know the Word, you know the importance of righteous speech and of holy character of our speech. The Bible has much to say about that. And Solomon is first among equals. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs outside of wisdom itself, which is like the number one topic of Proverbs, probably coming in a very close second would be the words that we use. Solomon is real quick to deal with the sins of the mouth. And one thing's for sure, uh, would it surprise you if I told you that we talk a lot? I mean, we talk a lot. These people who study these things estimate that men use about 20,000 words a day, and women speak about 40,000 words a day, and I'm just going to let that alone, just let it simmer this morning. 20,000 words is still a lot to me. That's a lot of talking in the course of a day. Not all of the things I say are always wise, and not all things that I say are always helpful. But the general tenor of Solomon's message throughout all of his writings, when you put them all together, is that our words should be truthful, encouraging, helpful, sweet, pleasant, honoring 
That's the way a Christian's words should be used. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And in my opinion, that's the most important single statement in the Bible. We should have put it in your notes, but I don't think it's in there. That one just came right off the top of the head. But that's the most important single statement, I think, of wise speaking that you find in the Bible. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Wise counsel from the pages of the Word of God. Uh, And the Bible would also add to all of those things. Your words should be truthful, honorable, pleasant, sweet, encouraging, helpful. Also add to that list, guarded. Your words should be guarded. You don't have to walk back something you never said. And yet with the onset of social media, not only do we talk a lot verbally, we talk a lot in written form too, don't we? And how many times have you seen some crazy thing posted and you go back out there to find it only to find out people have gotten beat up and they took it down. But then somebody made a screenshot of it. They always will if it's controversial enough. I told my kids, you need to be very careful here because that stuff hangs around somewhere until Jesus comes. It's out there and it ain't, you ain't gonna get it back. So you need to consider, you need to consider. That's especially true, not only before you speak, but especially before you post. In fact, Solomon says here that a wise person doesn't even criticize somebody in their own bedroom. And that's the most private room in your house. Verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. This is where, you know, last week we saw the fly in the ointment. This week we see a little bird told me. That's where it came from, right out of Ecclesiastes. Man, the word gets out. The only way two people can keep a secret is if one of them is dead. So be very, very careful. I think Benjamin Franklin said that. Let me give attribution. But most of us who've lived long enough know that's pretty close to true. No, the words of the wise are guarded words because walls have ears. That's what Solomon says. Walls have ears. And evidently, birds can speak. And a gossipy bird can do great damage to relationships and beyond. Sam Rayburn was the longest serving speaker of the House of Representatives in U.S. history. He served in the 1950s and early 1960s. Sam Rayburn from Texas, for the longest time, most powerful man in Washington. And he said one time, among my most prized possessions are words that I have never spoken. That's a great statement. Among my most prized possessions are words that I have never spoken. Somebody years ago when we lived in Missouri gave me this gift. It was a little technological gift in a package and it was called TV Guardian. And I had never heard of it. And I said, what in the world is a TV Guardian? And apparently you hooked it up to your TV and took all the cuss words out. 
And they probably still make something like that today. And let me just say, uh, you need something like that more in 2021 than you did in 1998. I can tell you that. But it was amazing. It didn't work on everything. It only worked on the technology that came through your TV that had closed captioning. So if it had closed captioning, it would highlight all the offensive stuff and just kind of bleep it out without the bleep. And I don't know, there have been many times that I wish I could strap something to my mouth that did that very same thing. You know, it's kind of like the character Bane in the Batman movies that wore that thing over his mouth and it kind of filtered everything that came out. I kind of wish they had some kind of device for us that we could strap that kind of thing on that just kind of filtered everything that comes out. But life doesn't give you a tool like that. Instead, what you and I have to do is rely on the Holy Spirit so that that precious fruit of the Spirit comes shining through. You know the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Oh my, yes, it applies to the mouth as well. See, that's the constraining work of the Holy Spirit, and that's why there's so much in the Bible. Abide in Christ, abide in the Word, walk by the Spirit. Everybody with me say amen. amen. Because you can't live wisely unless you're doing that. And so the message of Solomon as it relates to the words that we use is summarized very nicely in Proverbs 13:3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. That's about as succinct a statement about the matters you're going to find in the Bible. Or as he says here in Ecclesiastes 10:12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool concern him. So be disciplined, be discreet, be wise with your words because you never have to explain something that you never said. Everybody with me still? Amen. I got to land the plane this morning and let me do that by reminding us of a third practical application of wisdom that Solomon gives, and that is be wise in the ways you lead. Now, everybody in the room is a leader in some way, shape, or form. You may not lead a Fortune 500 company. You may not lead a church. You may not lead a small business. Uh, but if you're a mother or father at home, you're a leader at home. In fact, you're the greatest kind of leader. Can I have an amen this morning? I mean, you're the most influential person on the planet to those God has given in charge or in, into your charge. And so we all need to be wise in the way we lead, whether we're leading at home or leading in our church or leading in our community or leading in our company or in our profession, whatever the case might be. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Just haphazard, not serious, not sober. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. In other words, when he's been around the block, when he's been appropriately trained and, and schooled and understands what's important and what's not important. And when your pr princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. I almost didn't preach this message because I knew my wife was going to be in here this morning. And that's a statement about leadership at home. This is a statement about maturity <clears throat> and about character and leadership. 
Can I still say it? I still believe character matters. I, I do. I believe it matters in every kind of leadership, especially at home. But I, I believe character matters in a pastor. I mean, would you rather have a pastor that's got four degrees or would you rather have a pastor who's a man of God who knows character and seeks to be a person of character? Which of those two would you rather have? The second, that's right. Any day of the week and twice on Sunday. I still believe character counts in business. I still believe it counts in every area of life, in athletics, in coaching. Character matters because character matters to God. He's concerned about it. And Solomon's point is self-discipline. You can't be wise without self-discipline. And self-discipline is critical in a leader because the leader sets the tone. The leader sets the direction at, at, as it relates to any organization or any group. And that's true of good and bad leaders. A leader can set a positive tone or he can set a sorry tone. And that's why it's so critically important that leaders understand their accountability to the Lord. And all of us know, I mean, I, I said something a week or two ago about people, have you ever worked for a loud boss who just yelled all the time and somebody just shouted amen right in my face? And we all, probably at some time or another, I can remember when I was in college, I was working <clears throat> out at the Oscar Meyer plant and I had a guy come up to me and I thought I was supposed to be doing something and I was supposed to be doing something else according to him. And I mean, I was working hard and sweating bullets and he came up and literally got in my face and he said, I'm the ramrod around here. And I decided at that moment, I didn't really like him. I mean, I knew that. And if you've ever worked for somebody like that, you know how difficult they can make life. Biblical leadership is leadership that serves. It's leadership that sacrifices. You remember when James and John looked at Jesus and they said, Lord, you know, do us a favor. When you come into your kingdom, put one of us on the right and one of us on your left when you come into your kingdom, if it's not too much to ask. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Those positions are not mine to give. They're reserved for the Father. Not only that, you're asking on the basis of worldly considerations. And then he gathers his disciples together around them and he says, let's have a holy huddle. Y'all see all these Romans and others who love to lord their authority over people? That's the way the world leads. And then he looks at them and he says something I've never forgotten. It is not so among you. For whoever would be greatest in the kingdom shall be the what? The least, that's right. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So leadership is not a matter of being self-absorbed. There excessive type of, of living or leading. No, leadership is service. Leadership is sacrifice. Leaders take the blame when things go wrong. I could tell you a great story. I don't have time. A great story about the commandant at West Point, United States Military Academy, who resigned over something that he had nothing directly to do with because he felt like that the infraction was a reflection on him. He took the bullet himself. 
Leaders take the blame. Leaders share the credit. Amen. That's godly leadership. And then Solomon concludes with a little proverb here in verse 18 about the guy that is at home who's just lazing around through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. It's a picture of laziness. The guy sitting at home with his favorite beverage in his hand with a leaky roof and paint chipping off and the yard unkempt in every respect and the bills are stacking up. Solomon's decree is that that's foolish and it is no leadership at all. Effort matters when it comes to leadership. Effort by itself will never guarantee success, but you can never be successful without it because it's a part of leading. Wise leadership evaluates a need, plans a response, takes the initiative, and works until the job is done. Solomon is getting to the question today about finding success and winning favor, something that all of us want from the Lord. And if we're going to find success and if we're going to win favor from the Lord, we need to learn to live and to lead and to love with what Solomon calls wisdom. So many are like the man who walked into a convenience store and laid down a $20 bill on the counter, asked for change, and the clerk hit the register and the drawer popped open and then the guy pulled out a gun and said, this is a stick up, give me all that cash. And the clerk immediately took all the cash out of the drawer and handed it to the man who ran out of the store as fast as he could, leaving his $20 bill on the counter. When he got to his car and pulled out and found a safe place to pull over, began to count his money, counted up $17. (laughs) He committed an egregious felony and lost $3 while doing it. And that's the way many people live life. They make decisions without considering and they think that they're profiting by those decisions and the reality is it's costing them. And how important it is to figure out that wisdom is critical in a God-blessed life before it's too late. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the beautiful thing as we conclude this morning is that wisdom comes to every believer who knows Christ by faith as a promise from God. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to him. How many of you want this morning to live a wise life that God can bless. Would you say amen today? Then be smart and do as Solomon and James encourages us. Above all else, get wisdom. How do I get it? Ask God, who's quick to recognize your wisdom in asking for it and will give it to you in great abundance that you may live a life of blessing that encourages you and honors him. This is God's word and all God's people said.